This is a Federal News Network podcast. Sometimes it seems like unmanned aircraft are about to take over the world. But if it flies, it's got to keep clear of planes with people aboard. And that's been a major concern of the FAA now for years. Now the agency has issued a request for information about whether testing ought to be required of amateur drone operators. With what they have in mind, we turn to Aviation Safety Inspector. She works in the FAA's Unmanned Aircraft Integration Office, Danielle Corbett. Ms. Corbett, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. I guess it probably seems strange in retrospect that we do let people with limited or no technical knowledge of aeronautics fly drones all over the place. What is it you're seeking in this RFI? recently, the FAA was precluded from regulating certain amateur drone operators. But last year, in October, in the 2018 Reauthorization Act for the FAA, Congress mandated a few new provisions for recreational flyers. And one of those requirements is that they take an aeronautical knowledge and safety test. So that's a new requirement that Congress had us do, and we're just starting to get that going now. And aeronautical knowledge and safety sounds like it would be almost like you have to get your driver's license. You have to do a written test on the rules of the road and then demonstrate to an expert that you can actually fly the thing? Well, we're trying to keep a light touch on this requirement for recreational flyers. We do have a formal airman certification for um, more commercial or more advanced type drone flyers, but we're, we're looking at this test as an opportunity really for more education and for us to reach out to the greater population of recreational flyers. So what we'd like to do is partner with um, industry stakeholders and others to figure out how we can get this information to the recreational flyer community in an accessible and easy way so that we can educate them on what the basic rules of the road are. How can you get out there and fly safely now? And also to inspire them to seek out additional information and to understand what their responsibility is for operating in the national airspace, which is a very complicated place to be, but it's also a national resource that should be open to everyone. Sure. Now, as you mentioned, there are commercial operators of drones, and they, well, they inspect infrastructure and do lots of things, take aerial photography and so on. What, what are the requirements for those types of operators, and does it divide by the weight of the craft or the use of the craft? How does that all work now? Uh, as far as that goes, the weight is not necessarily relevant, up to 55 pounds. But um, generally speaking, if you're going to operate in the furtherance of a business or anything like that, more complicated, we have what's known as Part 107, which is a set of regulatory requirements for how to operate. And among one of those requirements is that you get a remote pilot airman certificate, which is a a more formal type of certificate. So in order to achieve that, you have to study for a test, go to a certain testing center, provide proof of who you are, and take a closed book, more formal type of test, similar to what manned aircraft pilots have to do. Do you also have to demonstrate you can fly the machine? There's currently no requirement to demonstrate um, a, a practical ability to an instructor or to an inspector. So that's where it kind of departs from regular aircraft if you're going to be in it, you got to really show you're going to fly it. But if you're not in it, you just have to take a, a written test. Yes, that's correct. So it's unlikely, I guess, as you indicated earlier, that the FAA would go further than that for the amateur operators or the recreational operators. No, and we understand that you know a lot of the recreational operators are doing much more simplistic type of operations, and many of them have years of experience flying um, model aircraft. So what we're trying to do, and because you know the FAA has traditionally dealt with a known 
population of people. Um, aviators are a small element of society. And now we're looking at the general population to a certain degree. So our, you know, our outreach efforts and our education efforts are really meant to reach out to people who may not even know that the FAA exists, who may not understand that when they're flying their little drone in their backyard, that they're part of a larger structure of the airspace. And so this is meant to just reach to those people to give them this baseline knowledge so that they're able to go out there and basically not hit stuff, to go safely, and to give them an opportunity to find additional information on how they can, you know, keep, keep proficient and keep learning more and how to, you know, fly more safely and, and in different places. And, and also, and the reason we're doing this request for information is because we realize that the industry stakeholders, whether it be manufacturers or academic institutions or even other governments, um, or community-based organizations, they have a reach to these people already. And what we're trying to do is kind of connect all the dots to create a safety culture and a community for the recreational flyers that exists in manned aircraft aviation that's really formed and is growing in the Part 107 um, drone population, like the, the more commercial folks. So that's why we've done this this request for information is to to expand our reach and to get that information to the most available people. We're speaking with Danielle Corbett. She's an aviation safety inspector in the Unmanned Aircraft Integration Office at the FAA. And earlier you mentioned model aircraft and like drones, that takes many forms. And I've seen videos of people with model bombers that are like six feet long. What are the requirements for flying those? So the requirements for model aircraft are the same as drones. We use the term drone more often now because it's a little bit more familiar. And there are a lot more percentage-wise quadcopters or what we think of as drones out there than model aircraft. Model aircraft have been flying for, you know, 100 years. Um, and these are, you know, aviation enthusiasts who, like you said, fly all different kinds of fixed wing and turbo, turbine-powered jet airplanes and gliders. And the, the range is very large. Um, and so they're part of the, the equation. And in fact, in the statute itself, it refers to community-based organizations as being a, an entity who um, sets safety guidelines and who may also be able to administer uh, the knowledge and safety test, because these are folks who understand the system very well, and they have a good reach and, and an ability to speak the language. But, you know, and again, what we were talking about the test is making it, you know, kind of basic getting the basic information out there, because like you said, there is a very broad range of what we mean when we say drones. Sure. And the stakeholders, who are those? Who do you see as the stakeholders in this whole burgeoning industry? It's a good question. Um, Congress uses the term stakeholders and doesn't really go into much of what they mean by that. Um, As far as the FAA is concerned, we often work with academic institutions, community-based organizations, manufacturers, um, there's a whole new burgeoning industry of drone training academies um, and even local governments that want to help foster or, in some cases, preclude drone flying in their local area. I wonder if the airlines will weigh in since people that live across the roadway from airports may also operate drones. And there are certainly a lot of rules about that. That's a great question. And the airlines and the uh, airmen unions and things do get involved in a lot of the initiatives that we take on and, and rulemaking efforts and things. Um, I don't know if they'll get involved in this request for information, but I'd love, you know, we're, we're welcoming to any and all proposals, and we seek, you know, the industry to come to us with things that we might not have been thought about or um, their their opportunity to reach people that we can't reach. So we're, we're open to, to any and all proposals. 
And some of the uh, the particulars here, what's the timeline for this RFI and what happens when it closes? The RFI was published on August 13th, I believe, and it's currently got a close date of September 12th, but we're going to push it to September 19th. And you should see that happen um, within the next few days. And we're giving it a few uh, an extra week so that we can encourage even more um, submissions to come in. We got a lot of immediate response, and we want to we want to get as much as we can, as much input as we can. And then once we receive the proposals, we'll review them and um, reach back out to to the ones that we think um, are worthy of additional conversation. And at that point, then you could, at the agency's discretion, initiate rulemaking. We're not envisioning a rulemaking for this. Um, this was a a congressional mandate, so we can move forward with this without a rulemaking. Um, what we envision most likely is we'll get a cohort of, of people together to really flush out the details of how this is going to work. And then ultimately, um, we could have as many designees as possible to administer the test. And using designees to administer a test is something the FAA is very familiar with. We do that with manned aircraft in terms of um, you know, written testing at testing centers as well as practical testing. We have non-FA employee, you know, airmen designees who conduct check rides and things like that. So it's sort of that same model, and we feel that as many designees as can do this uh, in the right way, uh, the better, because uh, the goal is to get to the most amount of people. Who knows? You might see some school of drones pop up. Absolutely. Anything is possible. Danielle Corbett is an aviation safety inspector in the Unmanned Aircraft Integration Office at the FAA. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Find a link to this interview and to the RFI at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Fly the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.